your table today as we have sang songs and been reminded of the great sacrifice that you made for us. We come saying thank you. We don't feel worthy of all you've done for us. We are humbled in your presence. And yet we also find your mercy and your grace here, and we're thankful and grateful for that. We're thankful you haven't treated us as our sins deserve. We thank you that your love extends past our failings. Be with us now as we come to this table. We lay down our burdens. We confess our sins. We examine ourselves. And we look into you, into your word, into your eyes, into your story. We find in you our great hope. Be with us as we come to this coming week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's good to be back after a little time off or, you know, a little, little uh, sickness or whatever that was last week. Uh, I wear a mask right now because I'm supposed to for a couple more days, so I'll be doing that. And I probably won't stand at the door. Virgil will have to greet you out today. But it is good to be back. And I'm excited to talk to you about the culmination of our series on faith over fear. Now, there's a part of the sermon that I wanted you to catch last week that you just missed, and I... I thought a lot about giving two sermons and one today, and that would just be way too long, which, unfortunately, the Thursday night, I had to experience that in a marathon sermon. But let me, let me name for you very quickly a very simple outline of what you missed, something to think about. In last week's message, we talked about the idea that uh, was listening for God, that is, Abraham became Abraham, and he heard God. And the question was, what are you listening to? Or four. And of course, God spoke and he said, Go from this country to a place I'll show you. And the question was, Where is God leading you? Ask, is God leading you somewhere? And then the last part is the tough one. So Abram went. And the question, of course, was, Are you willing to go where he sends you? So that's kind of what you missed in a nutshell. Wouldn't it be great if all sermons could just be compiled that quickly? You could come to them and be done? If you want to hear more about it, we can come back and try to record that, uh, get that up before you. Today I want to get you to this new message we have about faith over fear, and it goes back to one of my favorite stories, and uh, this is just a fun, it's a fun story, not for the people who lived it, I don't think, but it's fun for us because it, it's kind of a reminder that God can do anything, and that's important when we face this idea of faith over fear about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, this story starts with a king, King Nebuchadnezzar. And you should know this about Nebuchadnezzar. For his time, he was one of the greatest rulers in the world. In terms of his military conquest, he wasn't, he wasn't undefeated. He had some setbacks. But in the end, uh, he was very powerful in, in uh, succeeding the Assyrians and taking over much of the world and the known world, that is, at that time, and especially uh, he was known for capturing Jerusalem and Judah and taking them into captivity. This story happens while they're in captivity, and it's the story of, of three of Daniel's friends. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar was known for one thing, excess. Uh, he was a guy who, he, he wanted it all, he seemingly had it all, and power and excess were a big part of his life. 
And that is evidenced right out of the gate in this very first verse. Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold that was 60 cubits high and 6 cubits wide. Let me tell you, that's 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. That's a pretty big deal. Uh, and he made this image, which was, we think was an image of himself. And so did he have a high regard for himself? He did. And was this an extreme thing to do? It was. I mean, I think most of us would think if we saw someone had built a 90-foot statue to themselves, they were a little full of themselves. Well, that would be him. That would be Nebuchadnezzar. And um, he set it up on the plain of Dura. Uh, so, so picture this, a very gradually sloping plain, not a completely flat one. At the, very, at the very apex of that plain, at the highest point in Dura, is this statue, uh, 90 feet tall. So it really has this, this commanding view from all around. This, this, this monolith that you'd see, kind of like the Washington Memorial in D.C., how it stands out on the landscape. Well, that's what would have happened with this. And uh, because he was this powerful king, he did something extreme. He asked for everyone from any land he'd ever captured to send representatives to, this, to his country for the dedication of his statue. Now, we do this in our, our world today when we have big conferences of the G20 or, or the Great Eight, these national leaders that we bring together to talk about the affairs of the world. That's kind of what he did. Now, as I said, he was given to excess. So... When Daniel tells the story, to make the point of how, oh, how much overkill Nebuchadnezzar had, he says things in a, in a humorous, almost, way of lists. And the lists are long. And, they're, and I think Daniel means for us to understand that King Nebuchadnezzar just overdid everything. And so here was the list of who he summoned. It says in verse 2, he then summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. So if he was the most powerful person, you really couldn't say no. So everyone else had to come, and, and the point of Daniel's message was everyone that was there, they were all there to see this, this dedication uh, to Nebuchadnezzar. So verse 3, again, Daniel's going to really emphasize excess. So the satraps, prefects, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the other provincial officials assembled for the dedication of the image of King Nebuchadnezzar that he had set up, and they stood before it. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you are commanded to do. As soon as you hear, here's Daniel's excess again, right? It can't just be the trumpet blast. It has to be this. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music, as if not to leave it. By the way, if you don't hear the pipe, do you still have to do it? I don't know. This is a side. You must fall down, and you must worship the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not, as if you didn't get the message that I'm the most powerful person in the world, you better do what I say, whoever does not worship it will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Now, it couldn't just be you'll be beheaded or you'll be hanged. It had to be the excess, the extreme. He'd covered this monument in gold, and so the furnace that was used to melt down the gold to cover this huge uh, uh, idol, if you would call it that, or this statue of himself, it's right there. 
It's right there beside the statue. And um, he gives this warning, right? It's a very visual warning. You either do this or you do that. He makes it very clear. There's no wiggle room. So Daniel continues, more excess. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and people of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Did you ever have this, when you were growing up, did you ever hear this, right? Your parents said, if all your friends were jumping off a bridge, would you jump off too? Right? That's a crazy thing to say, like... Why would my friends be jumping off a bridge? I don't know, but, but here we have all, all this story. Why is everyone else bowing down? Well, because they, if they don't, they'll die. It's a very simple reason why they're, they're, they're doing this thing. Uh, they're doing it out of fear. Well, at this time, there were some astrologers, or other translations say Chaldeans. They came forward and they denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever. Your majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipe, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold. That whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who pay no attention to you, your majesty. Now, you almost can hear the devil in here trying to stir up trouble, and that's certainly at play in the story. There's jealousy. The astrologers were Chaldeans, most likely. That's what the, the word kind of implies. And, and so was Nebuchadnezzar. These were his people. He was Chaldean. And so, so these were his people. They were his kinsmen. And he had had a policy of when he captured territories, uh, he would kind of capture the best and the brightest. And he would bring them into his court and train them, educate them, do all kinds of things, and then assimilate them uh, into his empire. It was a pretty powerful way of keeping control. If you had, uh, from, from Judah's example, if you had children from some of the most key political leaders that were in your palace, they... That, that was good for them. They were succeeding, they were excelling, but if you over in Judah didn't do the right thing, well, Nebuchadnezzar had access very quickly to your kids, and, and that would motivate you to do it. And we already saw, right? That's the kind of a leader he was. If you don't do what I want, I'll throw you in the fire. So he had put a lot of these captured uh, members, of, uh, residents of Judah, he'd put them into places of uh, positions of leadership. He'd trained them. Three of them, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had done very well for themselves. And so there was some jealousy among the Chaldeans, people who were his own kinsmen, who were saying, well, why should these foreigners get our jobs? Why should these people from a foreign land have power and position? I mean, shouldn't that go to people like us? And so there was a reason behind this, this, this idea that, that they were frustrated with what he had done, and a little xenophobia is, is at play here. Well, Here's what they tell him. These three pay no attention to you, your majesty. They neither serve your gods nor worship the image of gold you've set up. Now, <clears throat> check out this first word, because I told you that Nebuchadnezzar is known for ex excess. 
And, and right out of the gate, his response is furious. Who dares to not do this, right? He is furious with rage. And so he summons Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So these men were brought before the king. And Nebuchadnezzar said to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you do not serve my gods or worship the image of gold I have set up? Now, when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe, and all kinds of music, if you are ready to fall down and worship the image I have made, very good. But if you do not worship it, you will be thrown immediately into a blazing furnace. Then what God will be able to rescue you from my hand? This is an important statement that he has set up unwittingly. But it says a lot about Nebuchadnezzar. He believes he is the final authority in the world. He believes that he is the one who holds the keys of life and death in his hands. And that there's no one that can save you from his grasp. There's nothing that can save you from his grasp. And because of that, he has, in essence, said, I am God. Think about it. He's asked them to worship his statue. He's asked them to follow his every word. He's saying, I am God. There's no one greater than me. I love what happens next in the story. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to him, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves. This is a huge statement. <laughs> so often, when we face a big challenge, we think solving the problem falls on us. Do I have the capacity to overcome this? Do I have the, the strength to do this? Do I have the resources to do this? Do I have the, 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 uh, the, 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 the intelligence to overcome this? It, it falls on me. And we carry the stress of that, don't we? We carry the anxiety of, of those kinds of burdens. Like it all hangs on me. If I fail, then we think gloom and doom is nigh. These three said something very powerful. We don't have to defend ourselves. It's not up to us. God is the one who will take care of us, whatever happens. We don't have to defend ourselves before you in this matter because if we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able. If you don't take anything else today, take that sentence and put it to heart. The God we serve is able. And that is the key truth of this message. And by the way, friends, if we're going to talk about overcoming fear with faith, that is the single greatest truth for accomplishing that. The God we serve is able to fix whatever it is, to take care of whatever it is. Nothing is greater than him. So they say, God is able to deliver us, and he will deliver us. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you've set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. His attitude toward them changed. What was his attitude in the beginning? He was already furious at the beginning. So this is the king of excess. He was even more furious. 
And now the excess really starts to roll out of him. And we see a, a, a tantrum of sorts that he's about to throw. He just can't believe that there are these three people that would defy his order. And so he says, hey, he ordered that the furnace be heated seven times hotter than usual, which I have no idea how... I mean, picture this is a, a, a stone-built uh, furnace with a billows that forces air in there to make it hot, to melt the, the metal. So the poor people that are trying to, to crank up the heat in this furnace, uh, that's pretty interesting. He wants it seven times hotter, whatever that looked like. And he commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army. Excess, right? It couldn't just be any soldiers that would take these people. It had to be his strongest ones his best soldiers, and he said, tie them up. And the idea is, I want them tied up firm and tight. I don't want there to be any way they can get out of this mess, right? He's, he's exhibiting his incredible strength, what he thinks. So he says, tie them up and throw them into the blazing furnace. So these men, wearing their robes, trousers, turbans, and other clothes, were bound and thrown into the blazing, blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers. Can you just see Nebuchadnezzar when this moment happens? Like, he, he could have picked anyone, but he picked his best and brightest, and he just killed them. Oh, what did I do that for, right? That was a mistake. I really shouldn't have done that. Uh, there they are, right? He just watched, I, I'm not trying to be macabre, but he watched his best and brightest just go up in flames. They died in the heat right there. That was, the, that was the beginning of his undoing. I want you to picture something else before we even get to the end of the story. What are all the eyes of all those leaders and all those people? What are all the eyes on now? Are they on Nebuchadnezzar's image of gold or are they on that furnace? Whatever else happens in the story, the event has already been altered. The focus has already shifted. And all of a sudden, there's a new question that's on everyone's mind. And the question that's on their mind is, is these Hebrew men talk about a God that could save them from the fire. Is God stronger than Nebuchadnezzar? That's the question that inherently got asked. That's the question we have to ask, isn't it? Is God stronger than the thing I face? Is he stronger than the, the struggle or the opposition or the, the circumstance that I find myself in? We, like those people that are watching it, we had a question, and we've, we do question that when we feel like we're going through the fire. And I recognize this. Some of you have been through a, a crucible of fire. You've been uh, in a furnace of fire. Well, there was the death of a child, the loss of a loved one, uh, someone who betrayed you or you've did a crime against you and you've had to go through a crucible of fire. Um, some of you in this room are testimonies of faith you've overcome by the grace of God you've made it through. There are others here who are in a crucible right now. You've gotten a diagnosis that you don't know how the story's going to end. You're facing a challenge that's greater than any challenge you've ever faced. You, you're in the crucible right now. You're asking the question, is God able? How's this going to end? It's easy to let fear consume you in such moments. But I want to call you to have faith over fear. 
Listen to how the story ended for these three men. You know this, but let's listen to it again to be encouraged. So, the king's command was so urgent, the furnace was so hot, that the flames of fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, firmly tied, fell into the blazing furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar leapt up to his feet in amazement. He asked his advisors, weren't there three men that were tied up and thrown into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed. And the fourth looks like a son of the gods. Now, there's a lot of speculation for who was there. What Was it an angel, Gabriel, Michael? Was it, was it even an uh, early appearance of Jesus? Who knows? I mean, I will say this. The reason that, that some might say that is that Jesus does stand with us in the fire today. So it would be in his nature to do that. He looks in and he sees something incredible. So Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace. I don't know how close he got. He'd just seen his best men burned up, so I wonder how close he got. There's a clue he didn't get as close as you might think because he shouts out to them. So he yells out in a loud voice to them, Hey, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out. Come here. This part of the story had to be an interesting one because For Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right, they're inside this blazing furnace and nothing's happening to them and they're in the presence of of God in some way. Like, it's a pretty cool space to be in. Let's just be really clear. That moment, right, that's a pretty unusual circumstance. Like the ropes they had on burned off, but their clothes didn't burn. They're in the middle of a miracle. They're in the middle of a miracle. And so they step out of that. Nebuchadnezzar is blown away. So Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the fire, and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisors, and everyone else crowded around them. They saw the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair of their heads singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him. They defied the king's command. They were willing to give up their lives rather than to serve or worship any god except their own god. And Nebuchadnezzar has a moment of clarity here. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut to pieces and their houses be turned to the piles of rubble, for no other God can save in this way. (laughs) So then he promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, so much for the Chaldean astrologers that had wanted to see them killed. Uh, They got promoted instead. Well, you hear something. Faith over fear leads to transformation in you and in others. What happened on this day? Whose faith was most transformed? Not Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They believed before they went into the furnace. Nebuchadnezzar's faith was transformed. Oh, and by the way, who did he bring to that summit 
everybody who was anyone. All those leaders from all over the world, they were all there for the spectacle that was going to be the unveiling of this big monument to Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> what story do you think they went home telling? About the mighty monument? I doubt it. They went home telling the story about the furnace and the miracle of the fire. Faith over fear will not only change you, it will change others. And it will be talked about by your children, your grandchildren, your friends, your neighbors. You see, we still marvel when we see someone exhibit faith over fear. But it's not faith in ourselves. It's faith in God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego knew they couldn't solve the problem on their own, but they believed God was able. Do you? Do you believe God is able? The Apostle Paul tells us in his Philippians letter that we should rejoice in the Lord always. He kind of gives us an idea here that when we face struggles, we rejoice because we know God's going to get us through them. We're not happy to have a struggle or a bad time, but we know God's going to be there with us. He's not going to abandon us or forsake us. In fact, he says, I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. For the Lord is near. Hold on to those words. So don't be anxious about anything. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Anxiety and fear are a natural part of a world that is filled with sin. Peace, joy, strength are a natural part of a world that is filled with God and grace. The question before us on faith over fear is what world do I choose to live in? The space that God has created for me to be in, which is in a relationship with him, or the hopeless space that the world offers? Nebuchadnezzar thought that he had mastered the world without God, that he was God, and he thought that to his own peril. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego recognized that they didn't want to be a part of that world. They want to be a part of what God was doing in the world. And they trusted him for everything. And God prevailed. It's not easy to trust. But when it comes to overcoming fear, there's no one and no thing that is better for us to trust in than God. Amen. This morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, I encourage you to do that. Every Sunday you have an opportunity to become a Christian, to give your life to Jesus, be faithful in Christian baptism. But for most in this room, you've already done that. Most of you are born-again believers. So what's the, what's the call for us today when we hear a story like that? Well, certainly it's for one to be bold. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were bold in their world. Second, to be faithful no matter what the circumstance. And I think a third comes along. When we see people that are in the crucible, 
We have the opportunity to be that son of God or daughter of God who goes and stands with people in the fire, who comes alongside others in their moment of difficulty. After all, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. We have a chance to do a real thing in the world today. So if you're already a believer and a Christian, then think about what your task and opportunity can be today as we stand and we sing our hymn of of invitation.
God is good. Thank you so much for coming today, being a part of our service. And those of you who watched online, made it to the end. Thank you for making it to the end. Uh, we have uh, donuts and coffee for our time of fellowship. We hope you'll take advantage of that. I'm uh, really, really glad that you're here. Sorry I can't shake hands today. I'll be back out shaking hands next week. Really just a super precaution, but I don't want any of you to get sick. That's just the way it is. But uh, we are really glad you're here. Hope we'll be back next week on Super Bowl Sunday. We're not going to talk about football, but we are going to talk about love. Because, you know, it's also almost another holiday that we have about romance and all that stuff. So we're going to talk about uh, uh, four, four types of love the Bible describes as, uh, or, or, or rather I should say four, four ways of looking at love that are pretty powerful.